Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. I hope that this uh, Tuesday is treating you well. We've got another great conversation uh, that I'm looking forward to with a few uh, friends that I have gotten to interact with here in the orphan care space. And uh, as you guys can tell, Brandon's opening the show. Phil's not here. We don't know where Phil is, if we're perfectly honest. Uh, we uh, are recording this actually in August, uh, although this will be released probably in October. And uh, Phil is just gallivanting uh, for uh, summer. But uh, at any rate, the show must go on, as they say. And uh, I am uh, joined, while not with Phil, I have replaced him with three people that excel in their intelligence and their wit and their charm. So uh, we will we will make do. Uh, but I am excited to get into this conversation episode. Um, what we're going to be talking about today, so you guys listen to Think Orphan, you guys are aware of the conversations that we have. And a lot of what we talk about is, uh, obviously, how can we love and serve orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? And a huge part of that is making sure that kids have the opportunity to grow up within the family. Now, if we were to span out and kind of look at the average care facility, average care ministry in the global South, what we would recognize is that this isn't just one child and one organization. In fact, there's a whole system in play that is supporting that kid to be in that particular care setting, whether that's in a family or in an orphanage or where have you. Um, and I would say one huge component of how kids end up you know, wherever they are, whether that be family or an orphanage or elsewhere. I don't even know where elsewhere would be. I just threw that in there. Uh, wherever that kid is being cared for, uh, they are often receiving support uh, from ministries around the world, including churches. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about, well, how can we better love orphan and vulnerable children? How can we support care reform uh, in the global South as American Christians, as donor uh, countries, as donors, uh, come into this. So uh, I am joined uh, by three colleagues that are doing really uh, important work uh, throughout the world. We have uh, Dr. Laura Horvath on the call from Helping Children Worldwide. Helping Children Worldwide is also affiliated with the United Methodist Church and uh, doing important work there. I'm also joined by Kristen Lowry from Shelter Yetu, uh, which uh, she is also a consultant and a part of the International Mission Board. Uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention, and we could not have a, a church conversation without a church leader from within. So we are also joined by Jacob Lears from Life Mission Church uh, in Kansas City, and uh, he is the missions and outreach pastor there. And uh, I am really excited to kind of look at both sides of this coin. So thank you all for joining us. Um, I'm going to come to our guest here in just a second, but as we uh, think about this dynamic of looking at churches and how they're engaging in orphan care in the global south. I, I want to point back to a study that was released a couple years ago that we've already referred to on Think Orphan before. And that was this uh, research done by our friends at Faith to Action, along with the Barna Group and Changing the Way We Care. And uh, this was really focused on churches. It was focused on what what's motivating churches, what are the amounts that churches are giving, and you guys have heard us refer to this on the podcast before, but um, the moder the modest estimate that came out from that study is that 
about $2.5 billion annually is coming from American churches and Christians uh, to support residential care around the world. Um, now, we obviously want to recognize that in certain situations, residential care is, could be necessary for a given child. And yet, at the same time, there is a huge over-reliance on that particular um, type of service, and we absolutely want to see reform take place. So uh, with that kind of uh, understanding, if we don't move and start to shift some of the money and start to shift some of the mindsets that are connected to those money within our local congregations here in the U.S., we may not be able to see care reform really take root. Um, Kristen, who is operating in Kenya, can attest to some of the large government movements within that country right now, and that's certainly a large factor. But that's one country out of hundreds, right? I mean, how many? There's over 200 countries in the world or what have you. Um, and we're just talking about one country that's getting these big government reforms, right? And sometimes those government reforms can also kind of go sideways. If we don't move some of the donor monies that are going into these countries or help people redirect them, we may not see the big change that we need to see, especially in areas like Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, um, where these are highly privatized systems, meaning they're getting private dollars to run, right? They're not, they're not getting subsidies like we do here in the States to run uh, child welfare programs. So we have to look at how can we actually shift mindsets so that we can also shift money and then ultimately shift the models uh, that kids are being cared for in. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. Um, I'm going to come around to our guests now and just give them a brief opportunity just to introduce themselves, uh, the organization that they work for, and really kind of what brought them into you know the, their own connection with church and missions work and, and even as it applies to reforming orphan care. So uh, I'm going to come first to one of my one of my dearest colleagues, uh, Dr. Laura. No, not that Dr. Laura, uh, Dr. Laura Horvath. Uh, could you just introduce yourself uh, really quick to our audience? <laughs> I appreciate the clarification. Um, I'm Laura Horvath. I'm the Director of Programs and Global Engagement and Helping Children Worldwide, um, which is an organization that actually started uh, out of a friendship between two United Methodist pastors uh, way back in 1999, um, and they launched an orphanage. Uh, back then. Um, we've been through a transition, and, and that's sort of the HCW backstory. Um, but over the years, because um, Methodism is sort of baked into uh, our DNA as an organization, both here in the States and in Sierra Leone, which is where our local program is located, um, we have been asked um, to kind of tap into that global UMC connection um, we've been asked by UMC orphanages across the continent of Africa for help with transitioning. Um, and so that has enabled us to, um, to tap into some of the UMC leadership that we're connected to here in the States and leverage those relationships uh, to change the model um, very slowly on the continent of Africa, but then get involved in the conversation, as you're saying, Brandon, with um, American donors, with the American Methodist donor piece of the church and figure out how we can um, get those folks on board too. Yeah, that's really good, Laura. And uh, it'll be interesting in this conversation to kind of see some of the work that you guys are doing with the UMC and even juxtapose that somewhat with, with the opportunities that are ahead of Kristen and, and the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, 
we're talking about two of the largest denominations, uh, you know, Christian denominations in uh, the United States. And what should be a lot of, uh, I don't want to say latent potential, because the truth is they're already applying their hands within the orphan care space, but a lot of opportunity, hopefully, to kind of shift, you know, as, as we're talking about. Um, Kristen, I'm going to come to you. Could you just introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about Shelter Yay too, and then also uh, your work kind of collaborating and supporting uh, missions within the IMB. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be a part of the conversation. So like you said, I have two roles. Um, on one hand, I serve as the co-executive director of Shelter Yetu, which is a rescue and rehabilitation center for street-connected children in Kenya. And so we work to rescue them off the streets, provide them with rehabilitation services, and then reunite them back to their families and communities and provide support and follow-up. Um, and so I came into that probably about 10 years ago. Um, and then as a result of being in that space and having those conversations, um, I started to see a lot of Southern Baptists who were coming over and either involved with orphanages or wanting to start orphanages, uh, really just had a heart for caring for orphans, but not the knowledge to really fuel that. And so um, at the beginning of this year, I actually um, spoke with Senderleaf, which is the humanitarian arm of the SBC, and proposed that I would step into a role um, to basically serve as a international orphan care consultant. And so with that role, I get to advise Southern Baptist churches and missionaries um, about how to care well for orphans. No, that's really good. And and I'm looking forward to kind of diving into uh, some of that work and so much love for the Southern Baptists. I, I, I am, uh, as we speak, in the children's ministry room of a Southern Baptist church, uh, which actually I used to work at. Now, if, you, if we, we've actually had this conversation from time to time. Brandon is Baptist, Anabaptist, charismatic, contemplative. I'm a whole mishmash, but uh, I love that we can kind of look at the SBC uh, and, and your work as a missionary from the SBC, but also supporting other missions works. Um, and uh, speaking of churches, I'm not the only one recording from a church today. Uh, Jacob, I would, would love if you could just kind of introduce Jacob has been somebody that I've just enjoyed a ton of conversations around orphan care. Uh, he has a missionary background as well. And I, I just think he brings so much into this conversation. So Jacob, could you uh, introduce yourself to our audience and, and what's your connection with missions and orphan care and, and uh, church work? Yeah. Um, so yeah, honored to be on this call with these um, incredibly qualified uh, ladies, we're a little earlier in in what we're doing. We're we're in a very humble state of very much learning new things. Uh, we did uh, as a family spent nine years in missions with Beauty Mission and the Horn of Africa, uh, mostly working Somalis and many people. And then uh, about four years ago, four and a half years ago, my sending church called me back to be the global mission and local outreach pastor. I also helped launch a campus. Um, so yeah, we just had some things happen that shook us to the core. We, we discovered some of the institutional things we were doing, and then it, it triggered us into researching and studying. So we're we're in the process of turning this ship and doing things differently. Uh, I also on the side work with Safe Families for Children, kind of in the same realm, just keeping kids out of the foster care system and making sure they're in in homes and families and supported by the church. Uh, a lot of that just worked. I I was a foster kid as a as, as a as a child. So I grew up in the system and I've seen it from that side as well. It's given me a passion and a testimony and just trying to use that locally. And really that's kind of our big message and things we want for our kids, not just in our church, but in our own families. 
that's the same thing that we want and what God wants for kids all over the world and just trying to instill that. Uh, it's a slow process. Change is hard, uh, but, but we're getting there and we're seeing lots of, of good things happen out here. It's been exciting and Brandon's been an incredible resource and um, just really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to, to learn and to hear and help us share a little bit. That's uh, so good, Jacob, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned there, we love Safe Families. Safe Families for Children is an awesome program. If you're listening to this in the U.S. and you don't know what Safe Families is, look it up. Hopefully they have a chapter uh, close to you. It's a, it's an amazing ministry that uh, that really, I mean, a huge thing that we promote here on Think Orphan is prevention, and it is one of the most effective preventative uh, programs that, that I've seen in the state. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And Look, when we talk about how do we mobilize the church, hopefully what we're saying is, look, I live in Kansas City or Tacoma, Washington or Virginia or wherever. Hopefully what we're saying is, look, we're doing it here. We're doing it here in our own local context. And that actually informs what we do overseas. And and so it's, it's great to have your uh, perspective on that as well, Jacob, both from uh, your missions work and working in Africa, but also uh, the work that you guys are doing directly at Life Mission and, and that work that you're leading. So glad that you are here. Um, Kristen, I'm going to kind of come back to you here for, you know, you mentioned this opportunity and, and the way that you're able to advise local Southern Baptist churches, you know, on best practices in orphan care. As you are, you know, interacting, I know you were recently at the large convention uh, that takes place during the summer, getting the opportunity to interact with people. Um, I would just kind of love, you know, when we think about these churches, we can, we can, especially, you know, people like, like Kristen and Laura that see what's happening on the ground in Sierra Leone or Kenya respectively. And we say, look, these are the needs of our organization. These are the needs of the children and the families that we're walking alongside. Um, but churches also kind of have their own needs and churches have their own desires and, and things that kind of compel them into this missions work, you know, so Kristen, as someone that's advising Southern Baptist churches, what are some of those most common questions, uh, or needs that, that churches kind of bring to you and, and yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, they, everyone's got their own, um, ideas and thoughts and, since we've started kind of this emphasis with Send Relief on international orphan care, um, the most common questions or inquiries that I'm getting are um, one or the other. A lot of people want to know how they can come serve orphans. Um, and unfortunately, because that's the way the evangelical church has been doing it for decades, um, their assumption is that the best way to serve orphans is to come over and to love on them and to spend time one-on-one -on -one with them um, and to serve in that way. And so it's been really helpful to be able to catch some people at the beginning of their journey um, and be able to help advise them on, you know, why it's not the best practice to go over and to spend time in an orphanage. You know, issues of attachment and issues um, that a lot of these children might have families. And so that's been super helpful to be able to engage with people at the beginning of that journey and walk with them as they, you know, shape their own ministry overseas and what that might look like. Um, unfortunately, the other thing that happens often is people will call and say, you know, I've got this orphanage that I've been supporting for 20 years. Can you go check it out? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of times when you check out, it's not what they had expected. There's there's some kind of cultural miscommunication. Um, and, and that's really hard to hear that, you know, what you thought it was and what your perceptions of what that was is different. Um, and so those people also have gotten to kind of walk through the journey with them of like, 
what does best practices look like in this situation? Um, how can that orphanage serve children well in their community? Um, so that's, that's a lot of the work and the conversations that, that I'm having. When those conversations start, I mean, are you... I mean, are, are, is what's the connection to the orphanage? Do they just kind of get this information and they have this affiliation and they talk with somebody that is informed like you and then they just kind of walk off or like, how did, how does that all work? Like, I, I'm just, no, I'm just curious in terms of like, yeah. um, so usually never. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, no, it's different. I mean, some people will have gotten a Facebook message from a random person who has an orphanage in Africa. And if you've ever gotten a Facebook message like that, and so they just want to know about it. Like maybe the Lord is using that in their lives to say, you know, this is a ministry that I might be calling you or your church to. And so they begin the conversation of, you know, uh, my name is now out there as um, the Southern Baptist advisor who, you know, can can point them in the right direction. So there's conversations like that. Um, and then there's just other conversations where they've had an ongoing relationship for years and years, and they're just starting to question some things. Um, the kind of deeper you get into those relationships, the more you have questions. Maybe you came at Christmas and you realized, well, there's there's not as nearly as many kids here at Christmas as there were when I came in August. Um, so kind of talking through why that is and um, what they can do, because what we don't want them to do is just walk away. Right. Um, that, that, that's not the goal. So the goal is to help them to be, you know, change makers within that work organization and that orphanage. And to, to ask the hard questions and, and to think about, you know, how can we maybe prevent kids from coming here in the first place or reunite them with their families or, you know, do some of that prevention, the work that you're talking about. Look upstream a little bit and see, you know, why are there 100 kids in this orphanage that we've been supporting for 20 years? Yeah, no, that's really that's really good and, and good to have somebody that they can kind of bounce questions off of. I, I think that that's a huge that's that's one of the activities within this space that kind of punches above its weight. You know, just the opportunity to ask questions of somebody else and get opinions from somebody else uh, can actually make an incredible impact in terms of actually helping people shift their mindset. So it's great that that the Southern Baptist Convention and, and you have kind of come to this agreement. You know, I kind of want to talk about the church more broadly. Um, we recently had Brian Ficker on the show, author of When Helping Hurts, co-author of When Helping Hurts. And we asked him about the reality of church change being pretty difficult. Uh, at one point he had mentioned uh, in, a, in a previous uh, interview with us that the customer is in the pew. And uh, I think there's a lot of reality uh, that kind of sets in. Look, Americans, American churches, sometimes it's, it's which of those words carries more weight, American or church, right? Because we say American churches, right? Americans, we often default to individualistic, consumeristic, some of those kind of things. Now, I'm not saying any of this to be disparaging. It's just recognizing the dynamics within our congregations. So with this kind of idea that the customer is in the pew, I just kind of put this out to you guys. Do you see this dynamic taking place even as it comes to missional orphan care, you know, and even coming back to maybe some of what Kristen was saying? How do you guys see this dynamic play out? Who wants to jump in on that one? I think that's definitely true. And I think as an organization at HCW, we see it um, in a number of different ways. Um, we see it with former, we don't have a, a child sponsorship program anymore. We've migrated to something else, but um, we see it with our former sponsors. We see it with with missioners. Um, 
And I think there's this inclination as an organization that we have to fight, um, and probably churches at the church level too, in terms of the tension between curating um, a missionary experience, for example, um, and um, the the need to educate um, missionaries and sponsors and donors um, as to why, as Kristen's saying, why um, helping orphanages or helping orphans in the global South looks differently than you think that it might. And why is that important? And so I think education becomes a huge part of the work that we're doing with churches. I think um, one area where we direct, we address this pretty directly is on our short-term outreaches. And we, in a normal year, pre-COVID, we do about 12 a year, uh, different short-term outreaches. And we tend to go to um, least reach places. So when we're, we're talking to our teams as part of their training and say, hey, we have three priorities for this trip and for every trip. Uh, the first priority is the loss and we're going to build the kingdom. And then our second priority is to bless the long-term workers that we're going there. We don't, we want them to want us to come back. And then the third priority is your experience. And a lot of churches do it the other way where they want the people that are going, their first priority is to make sure they have a good experience. So they'll give and they'll tell their friends. Uh, but the way we think of it is, it, when you're focused on yourself, you're usually not going to get blessed to a degree. When you lay yourself down and you focus on the lost and on the missionaries, that's where the blessing comes from. And so we communicate that very clearly with our teams. And even part of the reason when um, why we don't visit orphanages anymore, and that was that was a very hard conversation. I just had that this last weekend. Someone that wasn't on our trip to India but had led like five or six previously and said. Why didn't you go to the orphanage? That's the best part of the trip. And uh, I had to explain explain why and say, I know it feels good for you. And it's the easy, easy thing for us to give people good experiences, those Instagram baby pictures. But we're, we're not looking for the easy answers anymore. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, I said earlier that a lot of people are calling and asking, like, how can I go serve orphans? And so we really, I've been pretty influenced lately by um, the book by Dr. Hunter Farrell. I think you've had him on the show, um, Freeing Congregational Missions. And it's really helped me to think through, like, it's not enough to give you this education, this awareness, and this advocacy, because people still want to do something. And I don't want to discount that because the Lord has used mission trips in so many people's lives to change them and to, to bring about, you know, real spiritual um, change and formation. And so we've been working to develop um, a program that can bring churches who have done some prep work and some, you know, understanding and advocacy and on the side before they get to here, together with churches here, Kenyan churches and Kenyan pastors, and they go together through a vision trip at Shelter Yetu and see all of these preventative services um, that Shelter Yetu is helping within the community with the hopes that they'll join in a long-term partnership and affect change in both of their communities because there's vulnerable children everywhere in the world. So we're really, I don't want to discount you know, short-term missions and and serving vulnerable children, but it really needs to be in a context where the community is involved, their parents hopefully are involved or their caretakers, um, and they're not, you know, having that issue of family separation and all the things that that brings. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you mentioned that resource. And I would just uh, encourage our listeners to go back and listen to our conversation with Dr. Farrell and pick up that book. I, I have been reading through it as well. I had started it before we had him come on the show and I was on a train yesterday coming from Washington down here to California and read quite a bit, including his chapter on redeeming short-term missions. And I feel like 
it provides a very important lens uh, for, look, again, what we should look at is there is opportunity here. Not only look at, well, this is bad and that's bad and they did this and we didn't like that. It's easy to just be cynical and kind of look at the bad parts, but is there something here that can be redeemed? Is there, is there an opportunity here uh, for that? And, and kind of on that, and coming back to something that you were talking about, Jacob, in terms of like how you guys have instituted change within life mission and how you guys are interacting, you know, how do you how do you manage that instituting better practice, you know, in OVC missions work? You, you discussed, you know, not going to the orphanage, um, but you're also wrestling through the various interests within the church body. I mean, maybe just share a little bit more, you know, from the missions pastor standpoint. How do you manage that? I mean, what does that what does that even feel like? Do you feel like people are just leaning on you all the time and trying to trying to uh, trying to presume or trying to to muscle you? Or I mean, what does that look like, man? Yeah, when it when it comes to balancing uh, what we're doing, what we've been communicating, especially to our staff, not just our mission staff, but our our church staff broadly, is that mission's not something that runs in parallel with you. We really want to be a, a cross batch. And so that we did a missions training with uh, 75% of our staff a couple months ago and just saying, hey, it's not and then, and then, and then. The Great Commission doesn't say Jerusalem and then Judea and then. Because if we waited till we reached our city completely, we would never go anywhere. We would never do anything. Like it's a full-time job. We recognize that. But what I'll say is for our kids ministers, you have people that are passionate about kids. They can't just be passionate about the kids that show up on Sunday. But what are we doing in our city? to reach the lost kids there. And then what are we doing in the nations? And whatever that thing is you're passionate about, the Great Commission is just adding depth to that, whether it's men's ministry, vulnerable children, women's ministry, freedom ministry, all of those things can be expressed and they should be expressed, not just on Sundays or on our Monday meeting or Tuesday meeting, but in our city and in the things that we're doing globally. And that everything we do globally needs to be operated in that anointing as well. Like different parts of the body have different strengths and different ways of thinking. And the Lord has anointed Life Mission Church to do different things than, you know, the First Baptist Church down the street. And we all need to play our parts um, entirely to to do that. So, um, and it's also hard to communicate a negative. Um, so I honestly, I probably don't do this very well all the time, but not saying, hey, I'm not trying to be like twisting my mustache. We're shutting down all the orphanages, but more so, we want kids and families, whether they're kids from our church or kids in our city or kids in Kenya. They all deserve a home. God wants them all to be in a family. And you, 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 you cast a vision because without vision, the people perish. You cast a vision for the positive. And when you do those positive things, it pushes out the negative. So hopefully that's the message we're starting to get across. It's like, hey, it's not that we're anti-orphanage we're just so pro-family there's no room for orphanages um, because we want every kid to be in a family uh, again here in our city we have three campuses in three different cities we we are called to those cities but god has also called life mission church to the nation and wherever we go we want to see kids and families and that's just a value we're going to carry in every aspect of the great commission at think orphan we are all about creating lasting solutions for children and families You've heard us talk time and again about how poverty impacts families and literally creates orphans. One of the ways that we can combat poverty and strengthen families is by supporting local enterprise in the Global South and changing our purchasing decisions. 
That is why I'm so excited to share with you about Sojourn Studio. Sojourn Studio empowers young women and moms on the Thailand-Myanmar border through dignified work as they handcraft beauty to rewrite stories and lift communities. Women earn fair wages, educational scholarships, savings funds, health benefits, and maternity care. Beyond their ethical production and the opportunity to strengthen families, the jewelry itself is truly beautiful. I value fair trade products and have gotten my wife multiple pieces of jewelry from Sojourn Studio. She loves wearing them and we love knowing that the purchase made a difference for families in Southeast Asia. With Christmas coming up soon, get your loved ones something that they will enjoy and wear with pride. Click the link in our show notes or visit SojournStudio.org to start shopping. So good, Jacob. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking about, and it kind of goes in line with what you're saying, for those that are familiar, there's there's these things called um, a centered set and a bounded set. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but basically often what we do when we are trying to organize people is we put up a boundary and we say, if you're on that side of the fence, you're not one of us. If you're on the inside of the fence, you are one of us. And that's kind of our kind of go-to thing. As opposed to a centered set, it's almost kind of like, how do you keep the cattle, you know, in this area? Either you put up a huge fence or you put the water source in one area so that they never go too far from it. And if when we're centered in that and when we have uh, that thing that we'll all gather around, the set is really who's moving towards the water, you know, it, and you may have somebody that is close to the water, but they're pointing the other direction. You know, and you may have somebody that's really far from the water, but they're coming closer. You know, when we start to think about what are the what are the causes, what are the missions, what are those positive values? How can we just help people just move towards that, even if they're far away, right? Bringing them closer to the fold. Uh, so, so I really love that. And uh, you had said that before, Jacob. To me, it's hard to communicate a negative or something. Did I say that right? I, I think that that's really true. Okay, I, I did. <laughs> how does that go? It's hard I think to more. It's hard to cast a vision for a negative. It's like, hard to cast a vision for a negative. I think that that's really, I think that's really something that we, <laughs> I mean, we have literally like just no more orphanages like that. That has been like a mantra within care reform space. And that is just, it's, it's almost like jolting anyways. Uh, so I really appreciate that, Jacob. Uh, Laura, I kind of want to hear more from you, you know, on the organizational front. Um, you know, many organizations are reluctant to change because they fear losing donors and funding, many of them coming from churches. So why do you think, you know, from your experience, you know, as, as within HCW, but also working with the Methodist church, why do you think American churches and Christian donors are reluctant to change? Right? So we're like, oh no, we could lose funding, but it, why, why is that reluctance even there from churches and donors? And what are kind of some of their fears from your vantage point? So I've been involved with Helping Children Worldwide, both um, as a volunteer and a Methodist, because my home church was one of the founding um, churches for Helping Children Worldwide, to be honest. So I came at it, you know, both as a, um, as a, a former short-term missioner visiting orphanages many, many times. Um, as a volunteer, and then you know, join the Helping Children Worldwide staff, and we we help transition that model, and we now do um, work very similar to what um, Kristen was describing with reintegration in of street connected kids and and transitioning other orphanages um, to family care models, and um, 
just looking at it both from the perspective of sitting in the pew in my church and hearing uh, fellow congregants and former missionaries that I traveled with um, talk about their fears and concerns when we transitioned and how short-term mission was going to change. And and then also from the perspective, from the organizational perspective, I mean, aside from the fact that nobody likes to change, <laughs> um, I think that's just a basic human reaction. Um, I think the other thing to think about is one of the really, the great strengths of the fact that a lot of orphanage an orphan response comes out of the church is the fact that people are so deeply and emotionally invested in the work. Um, and I think that's a big reason why people don't want to change is because they are so deeply and emotionally invested in it. And so you can have the rational argument about, um, you know, the impact of, of family separation on kids, the impact of institutionalization on kids and all of that. And you can um, even give them sort of the the financial statistics about how it's much less expensive to care for kids in families than it is in institutional settings. But when you're talking about headspace stuff, you're not speaking to people's hearts. And um, I think there's that piece of it. And I think, too, you know, for us to go through that transition, it required us to take a really hard look at ourselves and the things that um, we've been doing as a church and as an organization um, that we didn't get quite right. And that's really uncomfortable. That's a really uncomfortable space to be in. It's really uncomfortable to do that for yourself, much less to come alongside someone and say, that's not really working out what's best for kids. That's a really hard thing to do. And we talk a lot as Christians about speaking truth in love, and we say that this is something we should be doing as Christians, and I, I truly, truly believe that we should be, but it's a really, really hard thing to do, and I think it's done best in close relationships with people who trust each other and know that they have each other's back, and when it's done in this posture of humility and, um, as Jacob is saying, you know, casting a vision for the positive, hey, look, we love these kids and we want what's best for these kids, just like we want what's best for our kids. And so what we're doing now is maybe not what's best. So let's figure out what is best. But I think we have to recognize that the change is really, really hard and we have to win hearts and minds in order for that to happen. Yeah, no, that's really good. And and I think if we were to kind of jump to the end in terms of like, well, what is it that we really want people to do? And and again, kind of thinking through the money piece, if somebody were to say, hey, tell me an organization that's doing good work, you know, in the global South, supporting orphan, vulnerable kids, vulnerable families, what, however, or even if they say, okay, take the families out of it, an organization that just supports OVC well, I would have no issue telling them like, you should donate to Helping Children Worldwide you should donate to Shelter Yay too. Like, like there are organizations there where you just feel like, yeah, that's good. But both of you guys are getting kids home, right? You guys are, are, are intervening for kids that are living on the streets. You guys are reintegrating kids. You guys have your own histories, right? As far as being long-term residential care, but that's not what you do anymore. So in full, you know, with clear eyes and clear hearts as coach, whatever his name would say, uh, Wait, what is, it? what is that from Friday Night Lights, right? Full, oh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Anyways, uh, I could, in 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 good faith, uh, say, yeah, you should give to this organization, you should give to that organization. 
but not every organization is HCW or Shelter Y2 or many of the other orgs. So uh, we'll just kind of take a take a poll here, and I, I have my assumptions of how you, the three of you might respond. But should we simply tell churches to just stop donating to orphanages? Should we just tell them just okay? I see a shake of the head from Dr. Laura. What do you guys think? It's okay Definitely to disagree. Not. Definitely not, she says. Definitely All right. Not. Well, I think if they're not already giving to orphanages, it's fine to tell them to not start giving to orphanages. Okay. All right. Fair. Yeah. Jacob? I would say... If oh, you're sorry, having, Laura, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would say if you're supporting an orphanage, it's time to start having a conversation. Um, and, and to do what Jacob was describing earlier, I think, in the call where he was saying that, you know, he, he went and found things out. He went and found Brandon Stiver at One Million Home. He went and learned some things. Um, so, yeah, find out everything that you can and um, and then open a dialogue about uh, where you might head next. But, yeah, don't cut an orphanage off financially. Don't do that. Well, well a full disclosure, I found Jacob, not the other way around. Uh, he was he was in a faith to action call with a bunch of pastors that uh, Megan Pratt uh, invited me to. So I I, 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 uh, I, I had hunted him uh, rather than the other way around. But, Jacob, how would you respond to this? Uh, you know, should we tell churches to stop donating to orphanages? Uh, I'll, I can just speak from what we've experienced. It's been tough. I've probably on my team, cause we have a team that makes a lot of these decisions. I've been the one more reluctant to cut off ties to those because I want to influence. I, it's not that I just don't want to be a part of orphanages, but I really want to affect change. And that's hard to do if you sever that relationship. And those finances are a big part of, um, those relationships. So even just last week, I had to call one of the organizations that doesn't run an orphanage, but they funnel money to several orphanages and let them know we were discontinuing support. But I had voted to continue support again, to keep my foot in the door, to keep influencing and keep having those conversations. But, you know, if there's not forward momentum, uh, but it's, we have seen a lot of back and forth and everyone thinks they're orphanage is the exception. Uh, because it's 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 exceptional or because the country they're in, it, it won't work here. I hear that all the time. Um, but to just keep having those conversations, we've seen breakthrough uh, with several of them and not so much with others. So th there has even on my team been a little bit of a conflict there and a tension that we're holding um, on both sides, wanting to affect change, but not wanting to continue to be affiliated with people that hold the same heart and vision that we have. This is this is an interesting thing that you just alluded to there, Jacob, that I think actually really should be underscored. Many times when we are giving to a certain organization, they are really kind of more operating as an umbrella. They are more operating as a disperser of funds. Sometimes we call this a pass-through organization. So you could maybe go onto a given organization's website and they will say, we're supporting orphans in this country and that country and this country and that country. And they'll have like 10 different orphanages. Okay. This is, this is maybe a little bit too much a, a view into the mind of Brandon Stiver, but this is what I do. I come across an organization like that and I say to myself, oh my gosh, if they're doing work in Central America and West Africa and East Africa, and they got stuff in South Asia and I'm like, wow, this must be a huge, or this is like a world vision kind of, you know, but then you go and you pull the 990 form, which for those that don't know, any organization that's incorporated in the in the United States as a 501c3, you can go and look at their financial reports. You go onto something like Charity Navigator or GuideStar, and you can actually look at their 990 form. And then you go into the organization's 
site um, and, and look at their form and it'll say they $200,000, $300,000, okay? And you think, but they're supporting operations in 15 different countries? It's just be not, they're not actually running those organizations. They're not running the operations. They are funneling donations, sometimes in very negligible amounts, and they're often sending missionaries into those different things. So now I'm not saying that that is exactly how it is with this organization that Jacob is, is, is referring to, but there are organizations that operate that type of format. Um, and it's just important to kind of understand, well, how connected are you to the work? How integral are you to maintaining that? Because even if there's something going on the ground in such and such country that they're funneling money to, that organization or that operation probably has multiple donors. Not too long ago, I had met a gentleman uh, at a conference uh, through a partnership that, that I had spearheaded, um, and he was had set up a small charity and was funneling money to this operation in Uganda. And they had said, you're the only one donating to us, right? And you could just kind of tell that there was some big question marks in that relationship. And the reality is sometimes these organizations on the ground or these operations on the ground are receiving funds from various people. And when you look at the website of such and such American 501c3 and they say we're working in a dozen different countries, but their actual revenue is only, you know, 100,000, 200,000, you just kind of have to consider how how do we how do we evaluate our support of a given organization especially if we are a church right and and this isn't just a matter of of uh you know donating but it's also how are we uh compelling our own congregants into the mission of god and who are we partnering with to do that including you know the our call to care for orphans and widows so anyways all right i want to come back though because we're talking about should we stop donating, should we, or should we engage, you know, with that organization? And that kind of seems like the overwhelming thing, which I think is is good practice for sure. I would love if somebody, uh, hopefully somebody has a story that they can share. Can someone share a story of an American church or a Christian donor that really had a clear shift in mindset, which actually led to that clear shift in how they financially supported the care of vulnerable kids? Somebody either from work that you guys have done in the Baptist or Methodist uh, church or uh, Jacob, as you you know have also interacted, who can share a story of what that has looked like? Oh, and if the pause if the pause is too long, then then I don't know what to do. All right. Okay, I'll go. Okay, now I'll people go. are unmuting. I'm like all alleviate right. alleviate the pressure, right? <laughs> go. All right, Laura, and then Jacob. So um, had a couple who used to be child sponsors. As I said before, we don't have a child sponsorship program anymore. We have something else. Um, when we shifted to what we now, it's called family empowerment advocacy. Um, and the idea is that you're going to empower a family toward independence and it's going to be much shorter term. And um, so they'd been sponsors for years and years and they were great donors. And uh, when we made that transition, they just loved that idea so much that they've now become not just more generous financially, but more generous with their time, with their talent. Um, she she now sits on the board. He's a, a physician that advises for our hospital. Um, 
they got excited, I think, about the programs and the work that was happening on the ground um, and made a connection to the work instead of to an individual, you know, kid's photo on the on the refrigerator door. Um, and I think um, I think they just got inspired about the change that could happen um, when that happens. That's good. Jacob, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I can just share our story um, just briefly. We were we we support you know several different homes or um, forms of vulnerable children care throughout the world. We had a home in Haiti that we had sent several teams to, um, like yeah, maybe ten ten different teams throughout the years, and just loved it. Always had good reports from it. Uh, but eventually, one of the, the gals that had gone on a few of the trips, she moved there and and lived in the home and and became a part of it. And even after that, it took several months. And it was a slow process as things un unraveled. The level of corruption, which uh, maybe we have too much of a margin for, except some level of corruption, I think. Um, globally, we tend to, but it was it was deep and it was dark. Uh, and then finally, the realization that pretty much universally all the kids were being abused, whether it was by each other or by staff or both. And um, it broke our hearts. I'd like to say that we just started looking through this on our own, but that's where we said never again. And we're going to take a hard look, not only at the ministers we partner with, but our values and our principles. And that's when we started reading the books. That's when we started listening to the speakers. That's when we started connecting um, with Faith to Action and One Million Home. And and it's what drives us still. It's the, the fire. We don't, I don't always share that story anymore because, again, try to, to communicate the positive thing, but it's it's the thing that I dread that I don't want to see happen on my watch ever again. Um, but it's hard. Uh, change is hard. I think communicating change is hard. Like if you're going to communicate a negative, it's for the status quo. Like, oh, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I tell people all the time, it was easier to pioneer a new ministry in a Muslim country in Africa than it is to get an American church to make changes. And so that's not always true, uh, but sometimes I definitely feel that way. Uh, but it's been good and, and we are seeing those changes, like I said, but it's, we're not there yet. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's really well said, Jacob. And I mean, the, the episode before this one is released is specifically looking at abuse and how ubiquitous it is. And obviously with any engagement where it's Westerners and those that, you know, are being served or whatever you want to say in Haiti or elsewhere. Um, hopefully we can mitigate some of that risk, uh, before it rises to the level of abuse. But I don't, I don't think that the average American is, uh, that is donating to an orphanage is as aware of how ubiquitous uh, abuse is within that home. Um, it is incredibly common. I'll just anecdotally uh, when I was, uh, when my wife and I were running kingdom families in Northern Tanzania, we brought out some, uh, colleagues from Bethany Christian services, global great ministry. We had Sabilu on here not too long ago. Um, Sabilu and another, uh, another person came out and she was a master's level social worker, uh, that was working with kids that had been in orphanages and she has worked, uh, as a clinician with hundreds of kids. And she said, out of all those hundreds of kids, she has never met a child that came out of an orphanage that hadn't either uh, experienced abuse, witnessed abuse, or was the perpetrator of abuse. 
literally, we're talking like a sample of hundreds of kids for this one clinical social worker. So it is common and it is a reason for change. And I, I think that it, that it should be uh, said as much and for churches to recognize, hey, we want, there's reasons why we want kids and families. There's reasons why we want child protection uh, to take place. And, you know, even linked within that, um, one of the ways that some uh, churches might actually shift is because of the missionaries that they send out. I remember I became a missionary, um, moved to Tanzania in January 2010, and I had the support of my sending church in Long Beach, California, called Garden Church. And they supported me, and it was awesome. And I did that for two and a half years. I uh, came back, actually worked at this church for a year, this little Baptist church here. And then when we uh, returned to Tanzania, uh, we started running a family-based and community-based program. And our supporting churches just continued to support us, even though we had shifted the model, right, as missionaries. So sometimes shifting the church might actually be shifting the missionaries, right? And there's long-term missionaries, there's short-term missionaries. But I don't think that we could adequately talk about American missions work, including that work that affects orphan and vulnerable children without talking about the missionaries themselves. So, uh, Kristen, uh, you know, as someone that has been in in missionary life for years, maybe can you speak, because we're going to talk about short-term missions as well, but you're a long-term missionary and there's there's a difference there. Can you maybe speak to some of those most critical differences between that long-term service versus kind of the short-term missionary work? That's a difficult one, Brandon. Um, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's, I think one of the biggest differences is that, as you know, somebody who's lived overseas, when you're living in a place for a long time, you gain um, pretty significant understanding of the culture and the language. Um, and that's something you bring to the table, right? And not only that, I think, more significantly is how the culture changes you. You're in deep relationships with people there who have different values. Um, like you were talking about in America, in individualism uh, is rampant. And here in Kenya, that it's not. Um, it's a very much a communal society where you know we share money and we share gifts and we share space and time and all of those things. And so you're bringing all of that to the table, um, especially you know when you talk about short-term missions. So you've experienced all these things that have, you know, beautiful and wonderful and they've changed you in significant ways. And you want to share that with people, which is a lot of the reason you bring over short-term missionaries, because you want them to see like, this is amazing. This place is amazing. These people are amazing. Um, and short-term missionaries, from my experience, bring a lot of um, zeal and excitement. You know, you can get discouraged when you're out here by yourself for a long time. Um, and when you have a team come over, they, they bring, you know, a biblical element of encouragement. They come and they worship with you in your heart language and they can pray for you and they understand um, you know, what it's like to be an American <laughs> or wherever you're from. Um, but uh, one of the things that I think is difficult is they sometimes come over with this mindset. And I'm not bashing on short-termers, okay, because I have the same mindset in me that I have to fight all the time, that because I have this education, because I have this money, um, I have the solutions to the problems here. So we all have to kind of fight against that. But because I've been here for, you know, 13 years, I've had more practice fighting against it than somebody who's coming for the first time. Um, so finding the place where um, you can help short-termers to have that experience 
where they really encounter the culture and can be changed by it and see what the Lord is doing without um, without empowering, enabling um, that idea that I, I have all the solutions and instead bring everybody to the table, your friends who are you know from your host country, the short term resume coming over and you know let the Lord work in those relationships um, and hopefully for the benefit of vulnerable children, right? So I don't know if that's answered your question. Those are my thoughts oh, about short-term and long-term Yeah, missions. no, that's great. Well, Laura, you have your own experience kind of operating with short-term missionaries and, and all of that. Maybe what, what would you add, Laura? Yeah, when we did our, um, our when we supported the transition uh, that the Child Reinter- our Rescue Center to become the Child Reintegration Center, one of the first things we did was stop the orphan tourism piece of our short-term missions um, for child protection reasons. And we did a huge education of all of our STMers to explain, you know, the why of that. But then we also had to figure out what are we pivoting to? Um, you know, and, and again, you know, not casting a negative vision. What's the, what's the positive then? Where are we headed now? Um, and what does that look like? And the year that we were doing those transitions of the the short-term mission piece, we ha- we started saying around the staff that the best way to care for a child is to care for the carer. Um, and then we started asking ourselves, well, what does that look like for short-term mission? What does that look like? How do we care for the carer? Um, and so one example of this, um, and, and this is one of our, our most favorite projects at, at HCW, it's called the TLC, the Teachers Learning Collaborative. And so it's one example of how we've done this. But what we did was look at, we used to do short-term missions where we sent American teachers to teach summer school at the orphanage for about a month every summer. Um, and they got lots of, you know, eight hours a day with the kids in the orphanage and they were teaching the kids. And then uh, what we realized is that um, the maximum benefit that we could get out of that in terms of moving the needle for those kids was 40 kids for about four weeks. The idea was that was going to help them do better in school in the fall. And... To be honest, I think that probably had very little impact. But if we flip it and we say, okay, well, so if we if we focus instead on how do we empower the people who work with those kids every single day, all school year long, and those teachers have like 80 kids to a class um, every year, and then we give them skills or we, we, we work with them and they, we empower and strengthen those teachers, then it's not just this group of students in 2023 that they're working with. It's every group of kids they're working with after that. Then the ripple effects of the impact that, t- that a two-week mission trip can have are much, much bigger. The problem for short-term missioners is they're not going to see that as much but if you start to think about mission as being, I like to tell our short-term missioners that um, HCW has a 23-year relationship with our partners on the ground in Sierra Leone, um, two decades plus. Um, and your two-week mission trip is like a moment of this 23 years. And it's a really important moment. Moments are important in relationships, but it's a moment. So if you can take your moment and help build that relationship, help further the mission of that long-term relationship and um, and impact the people who are doing the hard work 365 days a year, you know, year after year after year, then you're more engaged in what real mission should be and kind of in, in, in a more productive way, having a greater oh. impact. 
Yeah, that's that's really, really kind of helpful, Laura, to kind of, you know, from an organizational standpoint, as those that are facilitating on a day in, day out basis, the work of ministering to children and families in Sierra Leone, for you guys to kind of describe, hey, you know, here here's the impact of this, here's the impact of that. And how do we want to reach more children and families within this country? Well, we're going to choose the path that's kind of the highest impact. Um, and, you know, going back to the Barna research, you know, one of the things that they that they talked about was just how significant these missions trips are. So I'll just read from that really quick of respondents who had been on mission trips. 21 percent had visited an orphanage or a children's home projected to the U.S. Christian population. Four million Christians have visited an orphanage or children's home on their missions trip. Seventy two percent of those who have gone on a missions trip to a residential care facility have gone with a church group. Okay, so this is not an insignificant number of people or percentage of those people that are going on short term missions trips. And, you know, Jacob, as you kind of listen to to Kristen as a long term missionary, as Laura discusses, you know, that the the role that they play in kind of facilitating groups come in, you know, you're you're a sender. You're you're the missions and outreach pastor. Um, you know, how do you guys go about preparing short term missionaries that Life Mission sends out? Yeah, and again, we we haven't arrived. We're still working on it. So you haven't arrived. Oh, I'm dropping you from the call. No, yeah. just joking. Yeah. And, just uh, tell I, us what you do. <laughs> I think even uh, I think even with uh, COVID, I've still probably hosted more teams than I've sent. <laughs> but we're getting close. You need those numbers out, and hopefully, I'll shoot way past it. Uh, so some of the things we did that were easy. We're not a huge policy church, but we I think this was just last year. Brandon, I called you right when I thought of it. We, uh, we do have a child protection policy for everyone that works with kids on a Sunday. And so we just said, okay, if you're going on a trip, you're going to sign that no matter where you're going or what you're doing, because chances are you're going to interact with children to some degree. And then we started background checking. So just the, again, we're not doing anything extraordinary. We're just trying to say, how would you want your kids to be treated? How would you want the kids that come in on Sunday? Uh, what, what kind of pictures? That's a big thing. Would you find acceptable? Would you want some stranger to come and take a selfie with your kid? No. Um, if it's a big group of kids playing, maybe if they're running a VBS at our church, like we post those pictures and things. But but more of a principle of whatever we would do or not do here is what we are going to do or not do there. Whatever you would want for your kids, that's what we want for those kids. And, and just kind of having those guidelines. And um, even I was in Ethiopia a couple months ago and just we we walk up to the school and I I pulled us away from the group my team and said hey just a reminder don't pay, take pictures of these kids that you wouldn't have taken of your kids and, and just to kind of hammer that home and um, I feel like that's still the minimum we're still working and we're still growing but but just those simple simple things though that level of dignity uh, even in how you're working if, if I don't trust you to work with kids on Sunday I'm not sending you. Uh, to work with kids. Not not to say that there's anything bad they would do, but if you're not good with kids here, you're not good with kids there. And if you're not trusted with, with doing certain types of ministry in Kansas City, we're not going to trust you to do those types of ministry in Ethiopia either. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful, uh, Jacob. And I'll just kind of say, you know, as a former missionary, as somebody that works within the nonprofit space, the more work that, you know, church leaders like Jacob and and others that serve on the, their missions team at Life Mission, 
can do on the front end, the easier it makes it on people like, you know, Kristen that are, you know, receiving these teams because it's, it's a different situation when those teams hit the ground and they just have so much excitement and they're seeing things they've never seen before. And then, I mean, I remember leading, you know, some of those kind of introductory, you know, things when we would have a team of students or a team from a church come out and visit us in Tanzania. And as the missionary, I would kind of sit them down and be like, okay, here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. And you could tell the difference if it was a missions pastor or just a group leader, uh, you could tell the difference when they had already done work in advance to prepare that team to really kind of think through the implications of what they'll be doing when they hit the ground in Africa or wherever they're, they're landing. So uh, I think that that work cannot be understated. And again, we'll just point back to Dr. Farrell's work. Um, which has a lot of tools that actually equip uh, that actually equip people that want to uh, engage not only in short-term missions but really just kind of missions more broadly. So that's really helpful. And you know, one of the things that I kind of want to come back to as well. So as churches are being engaged, and and hopefully listeners of this, if if you hear this, there are resources out there. Um, there are things that you can use to kind of raise awareness and raise the level of training, you know, for short-term missionaries. We will have a lot of that linked in the show notes, or even if you're uh, listening to this and you go to a church that maybe supports an orphanage, um, one of the things that we have is a resource page as well with uh, 1millionhome.com front slash church. And there's some uh, special resources that are just curated directly for church leaders. Um, if we're going to have uh, articles that are linked there, including uh, written by Kristen, if you are a Southern Baptist uh, or or a Methodist, uh, resources that are specific to them. Uh, and we would love to just make sure that you're equipped to have these conversations as well. Um, and I kind of want to just before we go into our final rapid fire, I kind of want to hear just one more time from from Kristen and then uh, from Laura. I mean, as you guys are engaging with churchgoers or organizations that are affiliated with your respective denominations, how are you kind of turning some of those leads? Uh, I'll start with Kristen. How are you turning some of those leads, you know, that you're getting from the Southern Baptist into direct support, you know, for kids on the ground and and even kind of promoting organizational change? What does that what does that look like for you? Um, for me, a lot of it, it's what we've talked about. It's, it's those conversations, right? Where you're getting from one, one point to the next and they don't happen quickly. So it's a lot of conversations. And, um, usually when people want, you know, a quick way to support, I can, I can link them to Send Relief who has a focus area on families and vulnerable children. They've put those together. We've put those together because we recognize that it's not, it's not helpful to just to support a child. So we have projects all over the world um, that we support um, that are based on family-based and community-based care. And then um, sh- with my work with Shelter Yetu, I'm trying to, um, we're using the One Million Home Ways of Care Roadmap for transition um, to try to help more organizations transition. So SBC doesn't have orphanages. They got out of that that space as a denomination about 20 years ago. But as you know, every Southern Baptist Church is autonomous, so they're still involved in orphanages, however they are, um, and we want to be a resource to them. We want to help them if they would like to help that transition, um, to walk through that practically, to to be with them in that, um, and to point them to all the resources that are already out there. No, that's really good, and and yes, I'm 
saying this as I sit in a Baptist church. It seems like they're autonomous about some things. No, but... <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> Sorry. No shit. Yeah, we won't get into that. We won't get into that. Um, no, but it, it is funny because um, even this church uh, that I was a part of and were supporting us, there was another staff member that came later on that had a connection with an orphanage in the Philippines. And then even this small church, which is has wonderful people, end up taking a short-term mission trip because of a new staff member's connection to the Philippines with this orphanage. And then there you go. There's the support, right? So it is it is really interesting that we kind of think critically even along those lines. Uh, Laura, really quick, you know, how are you guys within the Methodist church, uh, you know, being able to provide support and, and connecting and advocating for, for reform within your denomination? Well, I think we have kind of a two-prong approach. There's an approach back here in the States. Um, there's a campaign we call Strong Family for Every Child. That's the vision that we're casting, um, a strong family for every child. Um, and we're leveraging relationships that we have with U.S. American um, Methodist churches. Uh, that are affiliated with our organization. And so by leveraging that, um, we'll be doing some things around Orphan Orphan Sunday this year um, and then showing success to other UMC congregations in the States. Uh, we hope to grow that, but it's a very grassroots kind of approach. It's very relationship-oriented and sort of building on success. But the other thing we really try to do is we try to point toward our partners on the ground who actually do this work, um, who do the transition support services on the ground, who... Um, who do the work of reintegrating children and supporting families. Um, so we were in Mozambique in April at the General Board of Global Ministries meeting of bishops, of the African bishops in Maputo. Um, and one of the best moments of my life in this work was, um, was sort of presenting this campaign and then saying, but if you want to know more, bishops in Africa, if you want to know more about doing this transition, don't come to Laura Horvath. Don't come to Melody Curtis, our executive director. The people you really want to talk to are David Musa and George Kulanda, who work at the Child Reintegration Center, and they do this transition work on a daily basis, and they've done the transition themselves. And so they can you know, offer you that firsthand experience. Um, and so we try to point back to our local leaders. What we hear from leadership in the American Methodist Church is we don't want to tell our African brothers what to do. Our our global South brothers what to do. We don't want to be colonialistic in that way because of the history. And so we want our partners on the ground to tell us what they need. And so, you know, where we can link that up, that's what we're trying to do. That's really good. And and again, I'll just point people to our show notes. We've also touched on this uh, before. Uh, we had Pastor Evans Bags at one point kind of talking with us around this piece too. And um, there's just a lot of resources out there, you know, if you want to have this conversation with your church or um, or if, you know, or you could pass along to somebody else, you know, if if they have a church that they're connected to. Um, and as we kind of uh, land this plane, we got one final rapid fire question uh, for each of our guests. All right. And Jacob, I'm going to come to you first, buddy. All right. So if a church leader or church goer is supporting an orphanage, but they have an interest in family care as another pastor, how would you advise them in taking action? What's their starting point? Yeah, I think ed education and prayer. I mean, it's such a sensitive issue. And there's people, at least in my congregation, put blood, sweat and tears into these things and to come behind and say, no, you've done it wrong or 
George Mueller did it wrong or Mother Teresa did it wrong. Like those are hard things to say. They're hard conversations. So you want to be prepared spiritually and um, mentally and know what you're talking about. So I, I think that's the main thing, not just charging the battle. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. All right. It just as soon as you said George Mueller, I had this flashback of when I was going to work at the orphanage and my boss at the time, she gave me his autobiography, but it was not so much as like the orphanage piece because he had a ton of orphanages in the UK for those that don't know George Mueller's story, but his faith in fundraising, that was kind of the, <laughs> that was kind of like, you can fundraise too. Here's George Mueller. Um, all right. Uh, so that's really, really good though. All right. Uh, Kristen, if a church leader or church goer is supporting an orphanage but have an interest in family care, in 60 seconds or less, how would you advise them? Yeah, similar. Education. There's a lot of good resources out there um, that can help you think about children in care and what's best for them. Um, that and then ask the hard questions of the orphanage you're already supporting. Ask them how many of these kids have parents. Ask them where they go on Christmas. Ask them um, if there's abuse in that orphanage. And then you know, prayerfully try to move forward with them to get every child in a safe and loving family. That's good. All right, Laura. Okay. So I'm not going to linger on education because I think that is the first step. And I think you all have said that. Um, check out Faith to Action. Check out Better Care Network. Check out Christian Alliance for Orphans. Uh, One Million Home has a great course called Journey Home. You can even do online. Um, learn everything you can. Um, and then begin a conversation with your partners. And if that's hard, and that can be hard, um, HCW, just to plug, do a little plug, HCW does have a series called Breaking Bread um, that's a grace-filled, scripture-led uh, way to have a conversation with your partner about um, how to care well for orphans, and that's offered uh, for free um, as a resource. And um, I think the other thing just to bear in mind is, is you're, not, um, you're not telling people what to do. You need to journey with, you need to, to walk alongside um, your partner. And this, this transition um, is difficult. Um, it's, difficult. it's a difficult thing to change. And so it's best when we do that in relationship and in partnership with each other. So, you know, stay together. That's good. Stay together, get educated. These are the things that we talk about. And uh, so we could not be more grateful to our three guests, Laura, Jacob, Kristen. Thank you guys each for uh, joining us for this conversation. Um, and again, I'm just going to point our listeners to the show notes, uh, which you will find at thinkorphan.com or in whatever app you are uh, listening in. We'll try to make sure that all of those are hyperlinked so you can connect with some of these resources and some of these people that are out there making change. Um, and as always with everything that we do, we hope that you're taking everything that you hear here on Think Orphan and that you use it so that you can better love and serve orphan and vulnerable children with excellence, better and better each and every day. Thanks so much. And we will see you in a couple weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.